Welcome to this latest edition of the Real Deal Podcast. I'm your host, Real Deal Quinn, recording on a Sunday. Everybody out there is enjoying their weekend. Um, you had a lot going on over the past couple of days in the world of sports, but we're going to begin with the NBA Finals, which seemingly will end tomorrow night as the Denver Nuggets have taken control, complete control of these NBA Finals with back-to-back wins in Miami. Um, both impressive for various reasons. Um, listen, when a team, they, 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 they're, they're doing exactly what they are supposed to be doing. Denver is clearly a better team than Miami. They had the best player by far. They've had the best two players in this series by far. So they, we're going to look back on this series and we're going to say, yeah, it probably should have been a five-game series. Now, again, I understand I picked Miami in seven. Or excuse me, Denver in seven. I never, I never picked Miami to win this series. Picked Denver in seven. But Denver is clearly, but I mean clearly, a superior team. And they have done it um, with their defense. Uh, the last two games, Denver, in this series, uh, Denver has held Miami to 102 offensive rating in the wins, in those three wins. That, if you want to know, you know, what that means, that would rank probably number one. They would be number one in defensive rate. They would be number one in defensive rating if they if they held their opponents to that to that same uh, particular rating. So a 102 offensive rating for Miami. Miami uh, Miami's rec- Miami's offensive rating in the playoffs was 115. Like Miami was making shots against everybody. They were playing just great, shooting the lights out, scoring at will against everybody else, not against the Denver Nuggets. And I think the I think as you watch, you know, we go back to Game Four. Game Four, you have a game in where Jokic and Murray were. Pedestrian. I'm not gonna say they were bad because Murray, despite the fact that Murray shot was only five or sixteen from the field, he did have twelve assists and no turnovers. So we can't take away can't take away that fact. But the bottom line is, Joker had five fouls, uh, was in foul trouble, had five fouls, missed about five minutes of the fourth quarter, and again Murray shot five or sixteen. But despite that, Denver won the minutes. Uh, that Joker was sitting, Joker, Joker, the minutes that Joker was sitting on the, was on the bench, Denver was plus four in those minutes. And that's and the number one reason for that was obviously you had great, two great performances by one Aaron Gordon and, and Bruce Brown, uh, who combined for 48 points. Aaron Gordon goes for 27, 7, and 6. And he has been great in this series from start to from game one on, even in the games where his number he's it, like his impact on what he's the type of stuff that he's doing defensively, um, just and there are things that he's done that he's doing that just don't go on the stat sheet. As far as defensive rotations, his you know cut to the basket, there are just little subtle things that he's been doing throughout the course of this series. Um, I can make, like I can make a case that you know he's been. I can make a case that he's he's been as has been as good as Jimmy Butler in this series. To be honest with you, I know Jimmy Butler is going to have the numbers as far as scoring wise, but that's because he takes more shots. But as far as impact on impact on the game, outside of Jokic 
outside of Jokic and Murray, I I think Aaron Gordon has had the biggest impact of any player in this series. Uh, in this series, uh, up until up until this point, and he was spectacular on on Friday. You know, eleven fifty for fifteen from the field. Uh, again, set the seven assists, the seven rebounds, the six assists. Um, he was just all over the place, and frankly, along with Bruce Brown, was the difference in the game. Um, listen, Denver, like if Denver's going to play defense the way they've played defense, and Miami's not going to knock, knock down three point shots, then there's no way Miami would has even could could sniff the Nuggets. Uh, we should, we've been saying throughout the course of this series that that Miami had to shoot the basketball at a high at a high clip, especially from the three point range, three point line. They had to shoot the basketball, um, shoot the shoot the ball well. Uh, Miami was uh, had another bad three point shooting game, eight for twenty five. Denver goes went fourteen for twenty eight. Um, Denver would. In the last two quarters, in the last two in the last two games in the third quarter, Denver has outscored Miami sixty to forty-two. The, the third quarter in, the, in these last two games have have in essence decided the game. Uh, remember, you go back to game three; they outscored them 29-20. and then this game it was thirty-one twenty-two. And both in this game, the lead was only it was only a four-point lead uh, at the half for Miami. Excuse me, for Denver. Or they uh, again, and then that that went to thirteen in the fourth quarter, and then you know, them, you know, the game was basically. I know Miami tried to make a, a a slight comeback a little bit in the fourth quarter, but that game was really never in doubt. Uh, Miami has not has led only nine minutes in the last two games. I repeat, Miami in the last two games has only have has only led nine minutes and forty seven seconds in the last two games. So, Denver goes in, winning to Miami. And again, we've been going over the, the Denver the Denver Nugget checkpoint championship checkpoints over the course of the uh, of the playoffs, and you know, you, and they have they have covered or checked off every one of those checkpoints. You know, they had a bad game two. We're gonna see how they respond in game three. They win game three. They have a game three. They get greedy. They get greedy and take game four. So they have cut. They have. They have. They have. They have Without question, showed their show championship medal, and they are live. And I would be borderline shocked if they were not crowned tomorrow evening, tomorrow night, back at home uh, in Game Five. There's nothing that I've seen from Miami in these past two games that would tell me that uh, they have that they want that they can come back, that they can pull about coming back and winning the series, but that they can even get this series. Back, um, back to Miami. Uh, Jimmy Butler has been decent in this series. I'm not saying he's been bad, but he's been okay um, in this series. Their yeah, role play- Miami role players have cooled off significantly from the conference finals. Caleb Martin has been basically a non-factor. Um, Vincent has been. They've calmed him down after the after the first two games. First two games, he was uh, the first two games in the series. He shot the lights out, and the last two games, he has been again. He's been he's been just he's been horrible. The last two games in the series. So, you know, Denver has done what great team would get what very good teams done. I'm not gonna say they're a great team, but what very what championship teams done. They do. They're gonna take away 
those role players. Like Jimmy may get his points, Bam may get his points a little bit, but outside of that, they're gonna take away um his role play. They're, they're gonna take away your role players. Like those guys, the Vincents of the world, the Caleb Barnes of the world, those guys that were undrafted, they're not beating a, a championship caliber team. This is not. And the bottom line to me is you have a Denver team that um again they when you have those two when you have two guys that are at the level of uh Jokic and Jamal Murray, everything else is easy. Like if you notice in the game four, they uh Miami was pressuring Murray in the backcourt. They were going out their way with, with blitzes and double teams. And, you know, that led what what happens when, when that when you over pursue or when you overcompensate, when you when you try to put that much attention on those two guys, there are gonna be some openings for cutters and jump shooters. And you gotta give Denver a lot of credit for not settling for three point shots. Like Denver has not Denver is not jacking three pointers. Jack Denver shot twenty three pointers, they made fourteen of them. They had a nice a number of a number of excellent looks. You saw what you saw out of Denver is you saw Aaron Gordon, you saw Michael Porter, you saw those guys cutting to the basket and taking advantage of Miami overplaying and giving the extra attention, right and rightfully so, to a Jamal Murray, to a uh, to uh, to a uh, to a Jokic, to Jokic. So you can't take away everything. Like if if they're gonna make if the other teams role players are gonna make shots. Or if they're gonna cut to the basket, do those little things, then you're gonna, you, you, you know I mean, you're gonna lose because Miami just does not have the offensive firepower uh, to keep up with them. They just don't. And, I, and by the way, I think the Miami defense has. I I think Miami defensively has been, has played relatively well. Like Denver has a high offensive rating. They've they've been extremely efficient in terms of shooting, but they haven't shot the lights out from three point range. And to me, if you hold Denver under 110 points, you've done your job. Like Denver can put 120 or 130 on you in a blink of an eye. And I think my, I mean Miami has held them. Denver has not. Miami has held Denver, um, relative in terms of in terms of point total, they've held them. Then they've you know held them somewhat in check, somewhat. But the problem is Denver can beat you in so many ways. They don't have to shoot threes. And that's the thing. That, that is a lesson that should be learned once the series is done. If you're a team, you're trying to build a team to win a championship, use the three as a means to get the best shot. Okay? That do, like Golden State was are masters of it. We're masters of it. Using the three to get cuts, to, to get layups and what have you. Denver does that as well. They use the three to get they use a three point shot as a means to get better shots. They're not they're not three point happy. They're not going to sit up there and jack 40 or 50 threes and keep shooting threes until they make them. No, no, no. They are perfectly comfortable with taking with taking shots inside the paint, going to the basket. And they're not again, they're not a team that, that gets to the line a lot. They're just, they're just not. But what they are is they know they get great shots. No team in the league gets better shots than them. So, I think teams in the offseason, especially if you're a contending team, you want to look at a offensive philosophy. Again, you don't, you don't, you may not have the personnel to copy. No one has a joker on their team. 
Okay, no one has that type of player on the on the, on their team. He's just what the most unique player in the league right now. But if you have talented players, you have all NBA caliber players. You there's no reason why you shouldn't be. While if you have multiple all stars on your team, why you can't get great shots? Boston Celtics with with Tatum and Brown. There's no reason why they shouldn't be able to get great shot, high quality shots, and wide open shots. None. So I think that's to me that's the lesson to learn to be learned here is you don't don't fall in love like this use the three pointer as a means to get to get a great shot to get great shots. I was thinking about something you know Murray again Murray and Jokic did not have great games in game four right they coming off the game and and you could, and. And I'm not, you can't, I don't, I don't think you, we can be necessarily shocked. They put a lot into that game three. They played a bunch. They played, both of them played heavy, heavy minutes. And I think, I really think Denver felt like the kill shot was game three. Like if we can punch him in the mouth in game three, game four would take care of, would take care of itself. And they, you saw the rotations, you saw them playing. Uh, you saw Murray and Jokic not resting at times when they normally rest in that, in that game three. So maybe the energy quite maybe their energy wasn't quite there in game four maybe they didn't have enough zip you know coming off uh, you know a situation where you're going from Wednesday to Friday Wednesday to Friday so they didn't have great game they didn't have vintage game fours but when you look at the totality of their postseason and the level that they play at the level that they're playing at as a twosome and how, how, just how, just the natural chemistry that they have between the two of them, how they, how well they play off each other. You, you are, you are very hard pressed in the last, say, 25, 25 to 30 years to find a, a, a playoff twosome playing at the same level. And I went, I went back there, I looked, now again, I looked out, I, I went post Chicago Bulls because I think Jordan and Pippen, no one played. There was no, there was not a better duo in the playoffs in the postseason than Jimmy Jordan and Pippen. You can go check the 1991 postseason where Pippen is basically like 21, nine, and six, and smothering defense, and Jordan is like 31, it's like 31, eight, and six, something like that. Both of them were over 50 percent from the field. Jordan was a little better on the three point at the from the three point line at about 38 percent, and both of them again, mind you, they're playing. You know, all NBA type, and Jordan playing MVP MVP level offense, Pippen playing all NBA All Star type level offense with smothering defense. Okay, they'll at that point, nineteen ninety one, these were probably the two best uh, former former defensive uh, defensive players in, in, in basketball. This is before Gary Payton emerged uh, a couple years later and would kind of take that mantle mantle as being the best perimeter defensive player in basketball and would win. You know. Defense player of the year in '96. This is before Pippen, before Payton's, Payton's emergence. Those were the two best uh, perimeter defensive players. So I'm putting them aside. So I'm going to go from the 2000s on, and I, you know, again, I'm going off guys playing off each other as well, not just sheer numbers. Uh, 01 Kobe and Shaq. This is when the Lakers went 15-1, and ran through the playoffs, swept everybody except the Sixers, went through, what, four 50-win teams, 
Uh, this is when the West was ridiculous. Like the West, you had 51 teams as APCs in the Western Conference. Shaq was 30, 15, three assists, two, 2.4 blocks. Uh, Kobe was at 28 and a half, six rebounds and five assists on 46, 30, 85 splits. And you remember they went through a lot during that during that regular season with the whole that you know Kobe shooting too much. This is when Kobe was really coming into his own as a scorer. Uh, this is when he like had to you know start having fifty point games that that two thousand two thousand one season. And Shaq was you know annoyed by him. They went through their whole went through their whole rift during the regular season, and then. Playoffs, they connected and just ran through everybody. And this and both of them were playing all world defense during that playoff run. They both of them were at a at a all NBA defense cop. They played the Laker defense that you, that two thousand one. That's that doesn't get talked about. The Laker defense was all time great in those playoffs in two thousand one. But this is this is this is peak prime Kobe and Shaq as a twosome. Not the best play, not the best that we saw of Kobe, but. The best that we saw Kobe play along playoff Shaq, they they were on another level. So they were the best combination that I've seen post Jordan and Pippen. Then I had Curry Durant Durant in twenty seventeen. Of course, they were sixteen and one uh, that year. Uh, call a couple breaks. Call a break with maybe Kawhi Leonard getting hurt, but you know I don't think they would have lost that series. Durant was twenty eight and a half twenty eight. Point five points per game, eight rebounds, four assists, 55, 44, 89 splits. Curry was 28.1, six rebounds, close to seven assists, 48, 41, and 90. Now, I would put them a notch below Kobe and Shaq from the standpoint of they, Durant and Durant and uh, Durant and Curry did not play off each other. They just were just that, they played, they were just that talented. Now they they fit, but they did not play off each other. And now, mind you, you had two other all stars, and you had Clay Thompson and also Draymond Green. So Golden State was not as dependent on 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 those two as the Lakers were on Kobe with Kobe and Shaq, or Denver is with uh, Jokic and Murray. Everything plays off Jokic and Murray. Everything, everything, the entire out there, the entire. They are they everything runs off those two, period. So I would say Murray, if I were ranking them since two thousand, since you know two thousand or so, uh, I would go Kobe and Shaq. I would go Joker, Joker and Murray would be second. To be honest with you, I would go Joker and Murray. Um, a couple of guys, people I thought about Wade and LeBron. Wade would. At, at that point, Wade was starting to fall off. Um, who else? No one ever approached Tim Duncan. Is you know we love Ginobili, we love Parker, but they never Duncan was on his own level with that team. Like no one ever like no, there was no combination. Even with even even that first year they won a championship with Robinson. Robinson was very good, but he was starting to he was starting to be in decline. That was that was about you know, Duncan carried that team. Uh, they had great role players, but no one ever played off Duncan like at at this level. It was basically it was you know basically Tim Duncan, and then you know they had a bunch of and then you know, Parker and Ginobili fit in well with him, and they had a great. There was no there was no two man game with San Antonio. It was more of a collective in, in terms of the collective uh, effort in terms of ball movement and things or Tim Duncan post ups 
but there wasn't like a two day run like a two man game to that to that level. Um, again, we already talked about Wade and LeBron. Um, Durant and Curry didn't play off each other, but that's I mean that's just about it. That's about that's about it in terms of two of dominant two man groups, uh, two man duos in the playoffs. Um, what joke with Jokic and Murray are doing right now? It just something like they again. You we will appreciate it more once the finals are over, or once we have some more perspective, maybe in a couple of years. But the level they're playing at, like and the, the level they're playing at right now, is a is a all time great level as a do as a duo. And the, the reason why they're so lethal is from an offensive standpoint, there's nothing they can't do: shooting, passing, putting the ball, creating for others, uh, Jokic posting up, like. Murray with the shot making, like there's literally they have you have no answers for them defensively, uh, because of how versatile they are from an offensive standpoint. Like you can't, there's there's just nothing you can do with them uh, per se. And again, I'll be interested to see how teams try to defend them after the season moving forward. Because right now there's no blueprint. There's no there's no okay we can do this. And Miami has thrown everything at them. When I mean everything. They've thrown like traps, blitzes, backcourt, like double team, double team off the ball. Like they've done. When I mean they've thrown everything at them, they've thrown. Spoelstra has has emptied the chamber. That's why I, I just again I don't see any more. Don't see any adjustments that that Miami can make, right as of right now. I I just don't don't see any more adjustments that could be made. What Miami needs is what Miami needs Jimmy Butler to be Milwaukee Jimmy Butler. And I heard I heard this point brought up uh, a couple of days ago. Jimmy Butler has not been the same player since he tweaked his ankle against the Knicks in, in uh, game one of that series. Remember, he tweaked his ankle in game one of that series, sat out game two, came back and did enough. But because of how great their role players played, uh, they didn't need him to be dominant. And again, even the Boston series, he had a couple, you know, had a great game one, pretty good game two, but the Caleb Martins of the world, the Duncan Robinsons, those role, their role players, and Bam, Bam, that's when Bam out of, out of bio started playing at a high level. Their, their other players played at such a level, and the Celtics were so inconsistent that they didn't need Jimmy Butler to be dominant like he was in the Milwaukee series. So they need the. Miami needs Milwaukee Jimmy Butler to have, to have a, even have a chance to stretch this back to a possible six game. As of right now, Jokic leads all NBA players, playoff players, in points, rebounds, assists, and win shares. If that holds up, which I don't see any reason why it won't, he will be the first player ever to do to lead all pack all players in in total in in the, in, in uh in. In the uh, totals in all those categories, so that that is he that is how dominant that he's been over uh, the course of this uh, postseason. I don't again. I don't see this series returning back to Miami uh, again. There's nothing. I again. I don't think. I'm not saying Miami's going to quit because they won't. They'll play hard for a half. They'll it'll be a close game for a half possibly, but uh, Denver can smell it. I don't see Denver letting up. Denver has shown you that they have not played with any games in the play, in the playoffs, especially in the last two series. Like even in the Phoenix series, it took Durant when they were up 2-0, It took Durant and Devin Booker basically playing 
just lights out, uh, shooting, scoring like 70, 60, 70, 80 points to put them to tie that series. And then they handled, you know, they ran away, ran away with the rest of that series. And even against the Lakers, when they had opportunities to kind of like relax, they, you know, swept the Lakers. So Denver has shown, you know, their maturity as a team that is going to be, you know, your 2023 NBA champions in, in, in about 24 hours or so. Um, we're going to do a deep dive on the PGA. Again, I don't talk a lot of golf on this podcast, definitely not as much as I used to. You know, occasionally we'll, we'll, we'll touch on the mat, on the majors and the masters, on the majors, um, especially uh, on the majors occasionally. But you had, you had last week the PGA merged with Liv. We know Liv is a billion-dollar is being funded by the Saudis and that you know and, and their billions and billions of dollars that the Saudis have to, and, and they were paying all these players like a Butch Kepta and Phil Mickelson they all hundreds of millions of dollars to play in this term play in that tournament which kind of um, put the PGA in a spot where you know they were you know PGA in, in a kind of tricky spot and basically forced the PGA to up the ante as far as tournament purses and what have you. And it got to a point where the PGA could no longer afford to compete with Liv in terms of court costs and resources and what have you. Jay Monahan basically came out and said as much and they, you know, basically gave in to, to Liv and now basically Liv, Liv in essence owns the PGA. I mean, that's all there is to it. Now, I want to say that this is an example to me, and you could you can call it greed, you can call it lack of morale, you can call it you know money over or morality, you can call it all you can call it what you want, but the PGA to me has no one to blame but themselves because this does not happen if the players don't agree to it. Like if the player, if you had, if you didn't have, if you didn't have any, if you didn't have any of the top players taking those large purses from Live and saying, "Hey, we're gonna play on it, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna play on this tour versus the PGA tour," then Live just has a bunch of. Then those guys just have a bunch, just have billions with no, no with with nothing to spend on, not nothing to spend on, but with, with no PGA to spend on, spend it on. Okay, this happened because the PGA. For years, upon years, was got caught got caught with their pants down, and they got caught. They got they got fat and happy. They got content with just tradition. They got they did not see the world the way the world is moving right now, and the way the world is moving is ever progression and evolution. Evolution is undefeated. And when you have a sport like golf, which is driven by the players, you have to take care of the players. You have to. Now, the NBA has gone almost too far as far as taking care of the players. They have to scale back just a smidge in order for the, just for the, the, the for the overall, you know, um, for the overall wealth of the game. Just a smidge, not too much, but the PGA was so arrogant and so poorly poorly ran that they didn't see they for whatever reason 
players were annoyed. Enough players were annoyed to basically they would just compromise any morals or compromise any like they would just go to the highest bidder and be like, hey, you know what? Fuck y'all. I'm going to take my $80 million or my $100 million and keep it moving. I don't care about tra- your tradition. I don't. And, and by the way, if enough top 50, top 10 guys go, you will have no choice but to eventually give in, which the PGA Tour actually, which the PGA Tour did. And enough top 10 guys went along with Liv to really put the heat on the PGA Tour. I, I believe that this could have been prevented if the PGA took care of the players. And but what I mean by taking care of the players is actually going to the players and saying, what do you need? Like, what? How, how can we grow this game? How can we make the game better? Because there were certain PGA players who were, who were with this. Tiger Woods, Roy McIlroy, they said those guys, you know, those guys said, hey, we're good. We, we, you know, we're fine. They made a ton of money, but they were loyal to the PGA. But they but the problem is, you know, listen, we could talk about how Saudi Arabia and the whole idea of, you know, 9-11, the whole idea of, of the treatment of women. None of those things are good. Are, are, are good. And from a moral standpoint, you can understand why people chose not to take the money and stay stick with PGA. But here's the problem. When you are under an organization that's treating you like shit, it's much easier to take that hundred million dollars or eighty million dollars or go or 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 you're under or you're versus much easier when you're under and that's what happened with the PGA. The PGA just took their players for granted and just thought that you know, hey, we don't have to think, we don't have to, we don't have to be innovative, we don't have to. Um, really grow the game, you know, you know, we could just be the PGA and that's enough. And it's not. In sports, listen, you can, in, in, in sports, remember, you are, you are fighting for attention in sports, the sports culture. And let's be honest, again, I'm what, I respect how many talented players there are in golf right now. The golf is loaded with young talent. But, the casual fan ain't fucking with golf, minus Tiger when Tiger Woods is not when if Tiger Woods is not uh contending. And Tiger Woods hasn't been contending seriously for the better part of the last outside of one major win in twenty nineteen, he hasn't been contending for about the better part of almost a, a decade now. If we keep it real or close to it, or close to like six or seven years now. So that like so the casual fan is not fucking with golf like that. It's just not. So they have to fight. If you're in golf, you have to get creative. You have to get innovative. You have to think outside the box if you want that. If you want that, uh, that viewer, or want that fan, you have to. It's not just enough having, you know, a bunch of talented players, that a bunch of young talented players in it between, you know, twenty five and thirty five. That's not enough. This is this is not. From that standpoint, the on the the on the on the course product is great in golf. But again, you're fighting, you're going against a younger a generation that that likes things moving fast. Like the, the you know the twenty five year old, thirty year old, for the most part, is not watching golf. So you again, you have to 
find ways to make to get again getting back to the players, but you have to find ways to uh to appease your players. So your players can sell the sport. That's a, that's a probably that's one of the problems with golfing golf and tennis, and I'll get to tennis later, they don't really know how they have not found a that happy spot in terms of how to market their sport, especially to 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 millennials and about Gen Z's. To, to millennials and even people my age, you're saying to a lesser extent. Most of the golf, most of golf's audience is an older audience. Like the majority of golf's audience is going to be any like forty or 50, 50 and up, to be honest with you. But the problem is, your top players are in their mid twenty, mid to late, mid to mid twenties to mid thirties, and the PGA did not. Had, did not do a good job, had, did, did a poor job at taking care of those guys. That's all there is to it. Now, could this have happened anyway, possibly, with the with just how much money was being thrown at players? Sure. But the PGA had no chance with considering how, how poorly they treated their players. This was about, this was just going, this was going to happen. And by the way, the PGA, one of the things that made I look at the NBA, right? Pete Rozell, the late Pete Rozell was a visionary because he saw what the television could do to the NFL product. He saw what the tele- television could do to the NFL product. Once that marriage was made, the NFL, it never looked back. The NFL became the number one sports product in the world. In the world. Once that marriage was made. David Stern saw with the dream team sending the play, American players over it wasn't just about we were getting our ass kicked. We got our ass kicked by Russia at one time and lost the bronze medal. No, it was bigger than that. David Stern wanted to grow the game globally. So, yeah, send Jordan Magic Bird over, and the game hasn't looked back since from a global standpoint. That's that spawned the Burton and Whiskeys, the, these all these other these foreign players that became great players. We saw all these we saw all those players at the Dream Team in '92, and and what have you. Those guys. That's 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 being a that's that's seeing that's 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 playing chess, not checkers. That's being a visionary. Tennis and golf don't the leadership. No one the leadership in tennis and golf is just piss poor. And I'll explain to you why later on with with, with the tennis how much they've wasted. Uh, just an era of icons. So, listen, I I think that this is not. I honestly believe that this will be um I think this will be good for golf. The number one we're talking about golf and I think eventually I think it will it's gonna force golf uh to you know what it's gonna force golf to kinda like change some things and try to be kind of try to be more creative as far as how they grow their game, how they market their game. I really do. I think I think this merger, at the end of the day, I think this merger will be great, will be great for the game of golf. Uh, whether regardless of what the players think about it, from the standpoint of the guys who didn't want to, uh, who didn't want to be a part of the merger. Uh, in terms of real thoughts, uh, Novak Djokovic won his twenty third major earlier uh, in the French Open. Is his third French Open. He, I think, if you, the breakdown, he has three French Opens, three U.S. Opens, like seven Wimbledon's and ten. Australian Opens. So, at the age of 36, he's still the top guy in the sport. Um, 
when it's all said and done, it's going to be hard pressed not to call him the greatest tennis player of all time, considering he's going to have not only does he have the record in terms of grand slams, but in terms of year number one, weeks at number one. Um, and the bottom line is he's done this in an era. He did this in the, in in what we know know noticed to be as the golden era of tennis. He did it in the era with Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal, who all who have between those two have forty two majors, twenty for uh, Federer and twenty two for Nadal, and he um has done this again. We're talking about a guy who, remember, the first six years of his career, he only won one major from 05 to 2011 to the beginning of 2011 because that's 2011. That was his first big year when he won three out of four majors. He had one major during that time span, 05 to 010. He has won 22 majors from 2011 up to this point. There's still two more majors left in the season. He's won 22 majors. And the thing I respect about Djokovic is just the mental toughness like he kept adding to his game and he we've seen him come back from two sets of down in major finals seen him come back against against Federer a couple times in major finals um he's never out of a match in a major in a major and he kept adding to his game it was a time where his serve was a week his ground you know his ground game is the best as ever that that He's the best hit from the baseline. That does that. He has the best return serve ever, and he's he's no one is better from the baseline ever than him. But his serve has become a strength. Like that's actually become a strength, a strength now. And he kept adding to his game, and he took those those early hits from Nadal, Federer, and he's going to turn out to be better than both of them. <laughs> that's the thing. He's going to turn out to be better than both of them. If I were ranking them, I would rank Djokovic. Federer and Nadal. I have Federer over Nadal because I think Federer was dominant at more surfaces than Nadal. Nadal, out of his 22 majors, he has like like 14 at, at, at one place. It was, it was just the French Open. Doesn't have enough at the other at the other places to be to for him to be considered better than Federer. Even though he had a winning record against Federer, I understand that. But I think Federer all around has a better all around game and was better, is more dominant at, at the, on different surfaces than uh, Rafael Nadal was but you know that's neither here nor there so you think about this right with the era of tennis they've had men's tennis in particular they've had three they have they've, we've seen since basically since 2001 that's when you know federer came about federer won his let's say all right let's go from 2003 federer out three was the first to win a major 2003 at wimbledon so 2003 up until this point 2023 this has been a 20 year reign for those three guys 20 years of dominating the sport the three best players the three greatest players of all time Jokic, Federer, Nadal, Jokic, Nadal, Federer however, however you want to put those guys in order despite this the sport of tennis as a whole especially in terms of the men's has not grown whatsoever like how many people outside the tennis fan the tennis, the tennis person actually cared about Djokovic breaking this record. I mean, people actually would actually, I would be curious, watch this. Now, you can say, well, part of the reason is that neither one of those three, neither three of those guys, neither one of those guys are American. That's part of it. That's a very easy, that's a very easy excuse. 
I think the ball, I, I, I get, and I'll, I'll connect this with golf. Just tennis has just done a piss poor job of promoting and marketing their sport. And, uh, and part of it, and they, they don't treat their players well, is they don't treat their players well, to be honest with you. You know, think about how many, think about when I look like, think about this. Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal basically played in the same era. They're like, there's no other sport in history where you can make it, where you can say the three greatest, three greatest players played against each other in the same era. It just doesn't happen. Like, Jordan didn't play against LeBron. You know, you had Will and Russell. That's as close as that we came in basketball. We have two. All right, we built Russell, Magic, and Bird. Tennis, they've had three guys who are iconic players play in the same era. And again, I, I ask the question how has that benefited the sport? There's no superstars coming down the pike. People, people are barely watching the sport, barely watch the sport. So I, again, that to me, you look at the leadership um, of ten. Ten, well, tennis doesn't even have a commissioner. That's that's pop number one. Golf has one that might as well not have a commissioner because you know their commissioners haven't been worth worth two cents. But it is, it is remarkable to think that you can have a sport. You can be blessed as a sport to have these three iconic players. And really, almost nothing to show for it as far as popularity and growth of the sport. So it's like it's almost impossible to fathom that. Like look at what Magic and Bird did for the NBA, and how that spawned the the, the era of television. And then you have Jordan, and then Jordan does what he does, and then you have even following even following Jordan. Yeah, the NBA had to tweak some things with the style of play, but that the stars did not stop. You have Shaq, Shaq would come along, Kobe, LeBron, Kevin Durant, those guys, and so on and so on. And, and with tennis, one of the reasons why Jokic, Nadal, and Federer were able to win so many, so many Grand Slams after after the age of thirty was there hasn't been any younger guys that have come along that have pushed them out. This tells me that a lot. Whether it's in America or or all over the world, uh, they're not getting the, the top athletes. They're not getting some of the great athletes to come play their sport. They're, they're those guys in in Europe, in America. They either go into football, basketball. Over overseas, they're going to they're playing probably they're playing soccer. The best athletes are probably playing are playing soccer. Not playing tennis. They're playing soccer or even golf for that matter. It's probably probably more top. European golfers than there are tennis players right now. So it to me, you know, I looked at look at Djokovic's, you know, accomplishment, great accomplishment. And Djokovic is not only one of the greatest tennis players, he's one of the greatest athletes. I mean, he's gonna be in that list as one of the greatest athletes, most accomplished athletes of all time. He has to be in in that conversation. He just he just does. Consistency, um, standing I mean, standing the test of time. When when it's all said done, he could end up with you know, 25, 27, who knows how many majors he can end up with because there's just no one down, there's no one right now that uh, can stop, seemingly stop him, stop him when he's playing well. Also, think about what 
what his tenure is going to look like when Joker Nate all is on his way out. Like I can see Nate all retiring at the end of this, this year. What is that going to look like when those when all three of those guys are gone? What the future future of tennis is going to look like? And you have again no you're going to have no Williams sisters as well. Like tennis is almost going to seemingly be obsolete, to be honest with you. So if you know you got to be very concerned. You or tennis should be concerned about their future um, moving forward because they are they have wasted in essence twenty years with three of the greatest players of all time and really, again next to nothing to show for it. That's gonna wrap it up for this latest edition of the Real Bill Podcast. I will see you in a couple of days with a probably a more than likely a recap of the NBA Finals and also my end of the end of the season top five players list that and a lot more. Have a great rest of your evening. So long.